MSW Media. Prevail. Це щотижнева програма про політику. Histoire, la sécurité nationale. Crimen organizado, dinero sucio. Globalno korupcije. Ta brodbu za demokratiju. Ja ora. A tebe? I matnom. Kom ustedes? Svam vitrion. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show for this first show of 2024. Asia Raiden is here. Asia, always one of my favorite guests. She is, of course, the author of Stoned and The Truth About the Lies. She was featured in a documentary that streamed last year on Showtime about the diamond industry called Nothing Lasts Forever. She's great in that. She said some controversial things in that. And as it happens, uh, some of those controversial things turned out to be true and now are um, a product of actual reporting. So the first thing we talk about when she comes on is that, these updates in the diamond industry, uh, which I find fascinating. I find the whole thing of of diamonds and the jewelry business and how international it is and how it's based on perceived value. There's lots of interesting facets uh, to talking about this, and I love uh, to hear her take on it. Um, So we talk about that at the beginning, and then I had not seen her in a while. I hadn't talked to her. We hadn't caught up, and Asia's one of these people that, um, you know, she's brilliant, and she knows a lot of things about a lot of different things, and I wanted to get her take on stuff that's happening. So what I did is um, I just wrote down topics on little pieces of paper, and I put them in a hat, and I drew them out of the hat and um, asked her questions based on what I drew out of the hat. So it's a little less linear than some of the other uh, interviews that I do, but it's fun. And I want to do something gimmicky for the first show of 2024, something a little festive, because this is going to be a crazy year, my friends. It's going to be a crazy year. It's strange to go into a year knowing that it's going to be a big year historically, isn't it? Um we have two wars going on right now that e- either one, you know, in Ukraine and in, in um, Israel, Gaza, um, either one of those wars has the potential to blow up into something larger and embroil a lot of the world in them. We've been very fortunate, uh, we Gen Xers and anyone younger, not to have had to deal much with uh, with world wars. Hopefully we keep it that way. Um, as I'm saying this, it's now, it's the 10th of January and... COVID spikes are the largest that they've been, I think, since the pandemic, even though no one is talking about it. It seems to be a more uh, mild form of COVID, but I don't know what that means. Nobody really knows what that means. So uh, that has the potential uh, to be a story. There's already weird climate stuff happening. Climate stuff's going to continue to happen. And then, uh, you know, there's there <laughs> there's the election. Uh, this is a big election. I was in Florida last week. I talked to people on the ground. People are very concerned about it. I'm I, pretty confident, and Asia is as well, that Biden is going to win. But there's still, you know, it's not a sure thing. Any number of things could happen that doesn't get us to that outcome. Um, you know, that's going to be a huge election because if Trump wins, it's game over for democracy. We're done. The other thing that's happening is there's a lot of these Trump trials this year. Uh, that should be interesting. Um, and this is when they like to throw and release the Epstein stuff, right? When everybody's distracted with other things. Although, honestly, I don't think there's going to be anything new um, in those documents, anything that we don't already kind of know. 
I would be very surprised if like some name we'd never heard before uh, popped up. So yeah, it's going to be a big year, and I'm sure that we're going to talk about really serious, scary things as the year uh, goes along. So yeah, I wanted to start off with something a little more fun. So again, Asia's here. Uh, love talking to her. As I'm recording this, I'm looking outside, and it snowed here in New York. And what my wife did is she took the Christmas tree and just put it outside in the front yard, still on the stand, because she couldn't get it off the stand while I was gone. And then it snowed. So it looks like there's this beautiful Christmas tree-sized uh, you know, pine tree right outside my window, which is kind of nice. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Just wanted to share that and give you a little sense of of what the uh, the environment is like here for me. All right, I've talked long enough. I don't have anything um, momentous to say here at the top of the show. Thanks, as always, for listening. I appreciate it. If you want to support what I'm doing, please go to my Substack, which is gregoliar.substack.com, and sign up for a monthly subscription, which costs $6 a month, $55 for the year. Um, that helps keep the lights on and the recording equipment working. And I guess the Christmas tree propped up in my front yard. I don't know. Um, so enough prattle. We'll be right back with Asia Raiden. Did you take a ride on a private jet named after a book by Nabokov? Have you visited a virgin island populated by actual virgins? Are you an intimate associate of a financier who didn't actually work in finance? I know what that's like, because it happened to my kid sister, Ghislaine. Hi, I'm Maxine Maxwell, Esquire, president of Max Max Legal Services. Whether you're a former president, a movie star, a tech geek, British royalty, or just a random Harvard man, Max Max can help. It doesn't matter if you were his constant companion or even if you kept your underwear on the whole time. No one wants to be associated with the world's most notorious sex trafficker. Take it from a member of the Maxwell family. This is an A-list you don't want to be on. Come in today for a free consultation. Tell us every single thing you did, and we'll make sure no one ever finds out. Max Max, your secrets are safe with us. And now, back to the show. Asia Raiden, welcome back. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is the first uh, episode of 2024, and you are my first guest of 2024. Wow. Yeah. I'm honored. Yeah, we got to start the year off right, you know? We start the year off right. You remember that, like, a while ago, somebody tweeted out that at, at whatever, two and a half minutes before the ball dropped, you should start playing Africa by Toto and start yeah. the year off right. That's what he said. Start the year off right. So that when it was bid, it would be like, it'll take a lot to take me away. Like, come yeah. in the forest. Yeah. And then someone designed, like, a, a little app that would, like, figure out the songs and when the choruses come in so you could plan it. And uh, That's that was cool. only one year. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's I cool. liked it. Um, so for people listening, you've been here before. Um, you're the author of Stoned and Truth About the Lies. You are in a fantastic documentary on Showtime called Nothing Lasts Forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
before we start into the into the other questions, I want to start there because people listening associate you with diamonds. And you said some things in that documentary that were controversial, maybe <laughs> that turned out to be, oh, my God, totally true. Uh, yeah. So why don't you tell everybody, uh, you know, take your bows, take your flowers. What, what Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So the documentary, in short, is about uh, contamination. It's about contamination in the diamond market, wherein people are creating perfectly realistic, almost Blade Runner-like, synthetic diamonds that can't really be told from real diamonds. And everybody's known for a while that these are around, but it turns out they were slipping them into Melee. And Melee are these packages of teeny, teeny, tiny diamonds. Like when you see something sparkly with diamonds, that's Melee, under one-tenth of a carat. Okay. And you don't buy them individually. You buy a parcel. And from time immemorial, there has been contamination in the parcels. There will be out of, you know, 100 tiny diamonds, one or two will be glass or CZ or, you know, whatever the fake du jour is. Okay. So people expect but don't want to talk about you might find one or two synthetics. Somebody tested a parcel and found it was 99% synthetic. And nobody in the diamond industry wants to talk about it because it'll cause panic. And a big part of what this documentary was about was about the creation of these synthetics, who's making them, why, who's benefiting, how it affects the established diamond cartels and the wannabe diamond cartels in Silicon Valley. And um, I said a lot of controversial things, including (laughs) everyone knows in the industry, everyone, this is not a secret or a, a sudden disaster, everyone knows nobody cares. Nobody wants to talk about it because okay. diamonds are really about perception. They're not about reality. You're selling someone the idea that they bought a diamond. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors. But another thing I said that was extremely controversial at the time the film came out a few months back was that it's not just these little tiny diamonds. It's all diamonds. It's big diamonds. Your big diamond might be fake. If you've bought a designer uh, jewelry, jewelry from Hermes, from Cartier, it might have synthetic lab-grown diamonds in it. And uh, when I said that, no one else in the industry or in the film would back me up. They were like, oh, you know, in interviews, they were like, she's paranoid. She's being dramatic. She's trying to get attention. But in fact, last week, the IGI, um, the International Gemological Institute in Tel Aviv found a six carat. Now that's big. Six carat pear cut diamond that came. Well, another thing I said was that natural diamonds come with sort of a birth certificate from GIA. It says this is a six carat pear cut diamond and it has all of these very detailed specs and then has a serial number, like a social security number. And every diamond has one of these over a carat. And they laser inscribed that social security number on the edge of the diamond. You can't see it, but it's there. This diamond had a GIA social security number and a corresponding report. And I said in the film that, you know, they're faking these. They're putting them on fake diamonds and they're faking the reports. And that's how big diamonds are also synthetic. And this diamond they found in Tel Aviv, or rather the grading authority in Tel Aviv found this diamond that had come from Europe. Um, It had the number inscribed on it and it had the corresponding report, but somebody, something caught somebody's attention. They thought something wasn't quite right. There was supposed to be a microscopic flaw that was carbon, but instead it was a feather inclusion. Don't worry about what that means. It just means you have a fake ID. 
The fake ID says you're five foot six. You're five foot seven. So the person just happens to look a little closer and realizes the guy in the picture who looks like you has a mole on his cheek and yours is a freckle. And then he starts digging deeper and he goes, this is a fake passport. Who are you and why are you here? And that's what happened with this big ass diamond. And then a few days later in Italy, a bunch more turned up. Big diamonds with laser inscriptions, with their social security number, fake IDs. Which are is the, basically, are the social security are these numbers like completely made up and invented, or are they stolen from somebody else? As like people steal social security yeah. numbers from dead people. Yeah, so like in the case of the big yeah. six carat one in Tel Aviv, it was stolen, and that's how they caught them. Was it was like that's a mole, not a freckle. It, it's a carbon mm-hmm. inclusion, not a feather inclusion. It just something tripped somebody's attention and they just kept looking and looking and looking in a microscope. And they went, this is not the same. It's very close. Like, well done, sir, but not quite. You didn't quite fool me. And then they started using uh, spectroscopy on a bunch of them and they get the wrong number without explaining how that works. It has to do with you shine light in it. The light comes back. It's different wavelengths, slightly wrong number. And that's how they found three more in Italy. And then it gets even better. Uh, Something called Operation Gem Crusher just took place in Hong Kong. And this is where this turns into a story about transnational organized crime. So Customs was looking into this syndicate that seemed to be laundering money from India to Hong Kong to ports unknown. And they couldn't figure out how they were doing it. Now, have you ever bought listener, I doubt Greg has, have you ever bought a fake purse, like a fake Chanel purse or a fake Hermes purse? They're called replicas because they're not just like regular fakes. They actually use the same leather, the same hardware. They get it illicitly. They use the exact same specs. So when you're done, what you really have is a Chanel purse. It just didn't come from Chanel and it's illegal. They do this with designer jewelry also like a Cartier love bracelet, very easy to fake, right? And it's the difference, you know, with a bag between $17,000 and $500. They couldn't do it with jewelry that had diamonds in it because the diamonds were too expensive. They can use real gold. They can use real, you know, Chanel hardware, whatever. Operation Gem Crusher, this money laundering operation in Hong Kong, was just caught with $64 million dollars worth of counterfeit designer jewelry full of synthetic lab-grown diamonds being passed off as real diamonds in real designer jewelry. So like a Patek Philippe watch, like a a pair of Tiffany stud earrings. They've faked the metal and they've put synthetic, almost undetectable diamonds in the settings, and they've been selling it onwards as a way of transferring huge amounts of money from India to Hong Kong and then out of Hong Kong to other places. And the way they get the huge amounts of money from India is to pay them for the lab-grown diamonds as though they were real and then sell them as though they were real. And they're shuffling money back and forth using fake diamonds, basically. But they're and not really fake? They they're really not are really, real. Well, yeah, that's a whole nother existential question that we got into yeah. in the movie. And I am a, a proponent of the fact that they're not fake. They're real. When you buy tulips at the grocery store, are they fake tulips? No, they're real tulips. Somebody just planted them in a giant tulip field, grew them on purpose, and then harvested them. 
That's what synthetic diamonds are. They're grown in these machines that have intense, intense heat and pressure and carbon vapor. It's called CVD, carbon vapor deposition. It deposits carbon vapor on a little tiny, little tiny crystal of diamond, like a speck of dust. It takes a few months and you've got a diamond. But that is a diamond. It just didn't come out of the ground. And, And so there is all sorts of controversy going on in the diamond industry about what's real and what isn't and what's allowed and what's not. And I think how it's going to shake out is fairly obvious to me, but it's more interesting. It's less interesting to me how synthetic diamonds are going to affect the jewelry industry than it is how synthetic diamonds are going to affect the money laundering industry. Mm. Why is that? Because diamonds have always been used to money launder for the last hundred years. um, They're small. They're fungible. You can't necessarily tell one from another, and they have set value. And it's really easy to pay someone who you're not supposed to pay with money you're not supposed to have by giving him a diamond. And he can then pass that on to someone else or trade it in for cash. So that actually yeah. leads us to, to our second subject, unless you had follow-up no, I was going to say Robert Hansen, uh, RIP trader. Um, <laughs> RIP, really? Yeah. Rest in piss? What? Rest in, I don't know, paranoia, something. Uh, I just mean he's dead. He died this year. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was paid that way. He, yes. Know, every once in a while. So was Epstein. Out and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was Epstein. Mm-hmm. A safe full of diamonds in his townhouse. Right. Or he was paying other people that way, probably both. So what's the second part? The second part is diamond sanctions on Russia. Okay. And I've mm-hmm. been raving about this for two years. In fact, I think I was one of your first guests on, um, I'm going to get the numbers backwards. The 5-8. Five, eight, eight, five, eight. You were one five, of our eight, first guests. 5-8. 8-5-5-8. Five, five, eight. Eight. You heard me stumble over C, D, C, D, V, C, V, D. I can't do it. I'm so yeah. dyslexic. Um, yeah, I was talking about how, you know, when you think of blood diamonds, you, you think of African diamonds. But what blood diamonds are, are diamonds that directly financially support a conflict. Mm-hmm. And... Um, That makes Russian diamonds the 21st century version of blood diamonds. The problem is Russian diamonds make up about 70% of the market at this point. They make up the economy of whole countries. They're they're a significant, I mean, Antwerp being the main one. So they should have been in the first round of sanctions. No No more diamonds from Russia. But there are a bunch of problems with that. And one is a lot of people are not cool with that, especially Antwerp, which is an EU country. Also, it's very hard to regulate what India does at all. And that's where a majority of Russian diamonds go to be cut. Like you can tell them not to do something, but they do it anyway. They're the ones that are mixing the synthetics in with the natural for the most part, because they cut the diamonds and they cut synthetic ones. They cut natural ones and they mix them together and go, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. No, really, they do. It's amazing. Um, there's an entire I, I, they city. They showed it in the, in the documentary. We met the yeah, there's an entire city, Surat, mm-hmm. which is entirely centered around the diamond industry. And it's a massive city, it's much, much bigger than Antwerp. So these sanctions, they said they were going to sanction Russian diamonds. And then Belgium was like, oh, but not luxury goods. You know, the Italians will starve to death. <laughs> and the Italians were like, no, we're good, actually. We do lots of things. And they were like, no. You can't, the French, the poor French. And the French were like, no, we're good. And they were like, no. It turns out vast majority of cut polished diamonds go through the, 
I can't say this in the right language. So I'm going to say it in English. The Antwerp Diamond Center, basically. Okay. They're the the big daddy here. They all go through there. They get okayed. They get a lot of them get recut. They that's how it goes. And they did not want. They had a huge percentage when the war in Russia started, and they had just made a deal to have almost all of them, about ninety million carats a year. So. They were not cool with this. So there have been completely toothless, meaningless sanctions on Russian diamonds since the war started. There have been sanctions. There weren't initially, but eventually people like me kept going, are you fucking kidding? And they went, okay, fine. No rough diamonds from Russia into a G7 country. Rough diamonds from Russia account for 1.9 or 0.9, I don't remember which, percentage of polished diamonds that go into the U.S. or any other G7 country. That's it. It's nothing. What they export are rough diamonds, and they export them to places like Surat, India, Mm -hmm. to be cut and polished. The problem is the place in which they were last significantly altered is considered their country of origin. So all Russia has to do is send them to Armenia or India or China to be cut and polished, and then we're importing from those countries. And that's what they've been doing this whole time. And everybody knows it, and Antwerp knows it when the 90 million carrots come washing through, and they don't care. They should care. They should care because, you know, they're right in the path of <laughs> where Russia's going to go if it rolls over Ukraine, but they don't. And so all of a sudden, this is where the story gets interesting. All of a sudden, the G7 simultaneously, uh, right before the first of the year, late December, dropped a new package of elaborate rolling sanctions on the diamond industry. And the diamond industry is crying and screaming. They didn't even get our cooperation. They didn't even talk to us about it, which is hilarious. You know, that's that's how you know you're dealing with a, a legal cartel. When they're like, you didn't even check with us about the laws to regulate us. We didn't say they were okay. So what happened was, before this... They had those toothless sanctions on rough diamonds coming in to G7 countries or the EU. They told them about a week in advance, as of January 1st, no polished, meaning cut, diamonds from Russia can be bought anywhere in the EU or, so it's not just rough now, it's like sparkly ones. That sounds not like a big deal because like it was like one one percent and they were like and on march 1st see that's the indirect ban on march 1st we're moving to the direct ban and the direct ban is no cut or no russian diamonds cut or polished in any other country can come into g7 countries or the eu so that means if you sent your russian rough diamonds to surat India, and they polished them there, we're still saying no, 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 can't do it. This made everyone's head explode, just Mm -hmm. explode. But then it got worse because they were like, wait, there's a phase three because everybody's angry, but they're thinking, how the hell are you going to know where my diamonds came from? Like, really? And they said, phase three is we're taking it from one carat down to a half a carat. You can't even bring the little tiny ones in for many of these places, and it expands to jewelry and watches. So look out, Patek Philippe. We're not taking your watches anymore unless you can prove they don't have Russian diamonds in them. And they do because all of those teeny tiny diamonds come from Russia. 
So basically anyone making jewelry anywhere in Europe or the Middle East or anywhere that jewelry is made, China, a lot of beautiful, beautiful high art jewelry is made in China, actually. In Hong Kong, surprisingly enough, um, they said, we won't accept it and it's illegal to import it. And, and um, everybody was like, you've just, you've shut down the entire jewelry industry. How are we supposed to do this? And also how the hell is anybody supposed to know other than the assumption, like all the tiny diamonds come from Russia or most diamonds at this point come from Russia. How's anybody supposed to know? And they said, don't worry. This is going to, phase three will be based on a, you know what? I wrote this down because I want to get their wording right. Oh, okay. This is their wording. It's going to be a centralized technology platform. They said. Who, wait, who is they? Who is they? G7. G7. This has okay. been taken out of the hands of the diamond industry. Okay. They came out with this simultaneous announcements from the White House, from Downing Street. Just everybody was oh, like, everybody. and okay. we're done laundering money with diamonds. Okay. And they said it will be based on a, quote, robust traceability-based verification and certification mechanism for rough diamonds will be established within the G7. It's going to be based on blockchain technology. There's only one part no one's clear on because they really are screwed if it's based on blockchain technology. You really will know everywhere this diamond's ever been, everyone it's ever slept with. Like, you'll be able to see its grades from high school. That's how blockchain works. That's what it's actually good for, not Bitcoin. Okay. The problem is I have a diamond. How do you know where it came from in the first place? And they're saying, don't worry, we have a solution for that. And they're not saying yet what it is. They're saying it's a technology-based solution, which makes me think they finally refined the process of figuring out which mine a diamond came from in a way that's cost-efficient and reliable. Because that is a thing you can do with metal or you can look at metal. You can take a, an artifact and you can check the copper in it and see where did this come from? What were, you know, it's, it's in Iraq now, but did it come all the way from China originally? Did it's something archeologists do, but it's expensive and it has not been extended to diamonds. All I can come up with is they've come up with a cost efficient and reliable way to do it with diamonds. In which case it's sort of game over for, <laughs> for sneaking your diamonds around. Yeah. Or people will just continue to do what they're doing. And so many people are doing it that it won't, it won't be able well, to Well, it won't it. take off the black market aspect of it. And in fact, most of the major diamond companies and publications have already soft threatened that. They've said, all you're going to do is create a two-tiered system where some diamonds are certified and some diamonds are not. Meaning we'll just go black market, bitches. We're a cartel. What part do you not understand? But yeah, it won't stop somebody like Jeffrey Epstein from getting paid or paying people in those black market diamonds. But it will, in essence, make the legitimate diamond industry, like you bought a Hermes watch and it's got some diamonds in it, it will make that, if it works, it'll make it impossible. And while the the exciting, dramatic part of money laundering with diamonds is always the James Bond. Look, I've got this bag of diamonds, give it to him. And, but the real money is in selling diamonds to people like you and me. It's in Merry Christmas, honey. I bought you a tennis bracelet right? from a reputable store. That's where most of the money is sure. generated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah. And I, I'm a little bit dubious about 
about the the ultimate technology that can do all that stuff. I can't wait to find, well, blockchain can do that, but you have to be able to authenticate where a diamond came from originally. And they're saying they can, and they're going to tell us how in September. Okay. Provenance, as they call it with coins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The coordinated effort is what what really gets my attention. The way all of these people who have, no interest in diamonds specifically, have said, and we're done with that, and we've made some laws about it. We didn't tell you, and they go into effect last Thursday. You better not be doing what we think you're doing. Does that mean, do you think that people will just start, will they just switch to synthetic diamonds that are made in China or wherever? Is that what's going to happen? So so that's interesting. Um, This applies, these bans apply to natural diamonds in the first three stages. Then they will apply to synthetic diamonds in the third stage. Now, how the hell they're going to know where a synthetic diamond was made, I don't know. I but don't they're, know not made, are, they're not made in Russia anyway, right? Aren't they made in China and we'll India? We have some Russian synthetic diamonds. Uh, a friend there sent me some. It's proof of concept. Mostly they're made in China. They've been made in China for a long time. They're also made in the U.S. and Canada. And, of course, they're made in Russia actually, I think, did they make the first synthetic rubies? Was that them? I know synthetic rubies were a big deal in Russia in the 20s and 30s. Um, yeah, they love synthetic gems there. Okay. Except Everything for diamonds, fake. because they have all the diamonds. Right, right. Everything fake. Well, this is interesting, and it also gives a title to this episode, which is going to obviously be called Operation Gem Crusher. Um, because what else, what else could it possibly be called? Maybe diamond crusher without the end. This is operation diamond crusher is just going to wipe out, wipe out this whole thing. Um, okay. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and we come back from the break. I have a game that we're going to play. You're going to like, I think. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll be right back with Asia Raiden. Okay, we're back with Asia Raiden. Right down with the that was so fast. It was fast, speedy. It was as fast as making a synthetic diamond relative to a natural diamond. You want to know the truth? Oh. Nobody knows how long it takes to make a real diamond. That stuff about it took millions of years in the year. Might have taken 35 seconds. They don't know. They're guessing. Okay, well, I mean, the Earth is only 6,000 years old, so. Oh, right, I forgot. <laughs> um, okay, so here's the game. I have all these questions I thought to ask you which don't necessarily have anything to do with each other. So what I've done is I've written them all on little yellow pieces of paper and folded them and put them in this hat. <laughs> mixed up the questions. So this is this like a means, New Year's well, game. This means we don't do this often enough if you have these random unrelated questions. They're random unrelated questions. They're random right. unrelated questions. Go for it. First question is... No, I don't want to start with that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, here's one. What is your biggest concern... Heading into the new year. And you can take that any way you want. Big concern, little concern. What's on your mind heading into 2024? Dying alone? This little line I got between my eyebrows right next to the one on the right? I'm a shallow person, Greg. My biggest concerns are personal. Um, You mean my biggest concerns for people who aren't Asia? Yes. Yes. Oh. um, (laughs) Sorry, but that... 
Uh, shit. There's so many. No, uh, I know. That's why I, w- I was like, I, I guess what I was thinking about. Biden was, being assassinated. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I think yeah. they know they're hopeless. I think they know they couldn't win an election for president of the PTA. And I think we're dealing with organized crime and their go-to is just kill the guy. Yeah. And I don't have incredible confidence in a lot of the people around him, like the Secret Service. And no disrespect to to genuine Secret Service agents. I'm sure you're doing a very hard job and you're doing it very well. But some of your friends are getting bitten Maybe. by dogs for a I reason. I know. If, if Commander says you're out, you're out. I think. I think yeah. He's like the cat, you know, the cat that goes around the hospital and sits with the person that's going to die. Yes. Yes. Commander, I think, is like that kind of dog. He's like, if he bites you, oh, boy, you know, you're in trouble. Um, yeah, or that dog in sci-fi that barks at aliens that look human. Yeah, that would work, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's either Biden's getting assassinated or Nazis are going to kill us all. Those are my those are my big fears. OK. Yeah, those are valid fears. And I share them. Um, oh, here we go. Um, what's your favorite Christmas movie? <laughs> did you add that? Yeah, I did. Uh, Blade Runner. Okay. Blade Runner is my favorite Christmas movie. How, how on earth is Blade Runner a Christmas movie? Okay. Well, first of all, it's all about twinkly lights and there's mm-hmm. a toy maker and there's like, there's, there's this guy who only like gets to live to three years old, I think. And he's like, why father? Why? It's unfair. It's a Christ allegory. Plus when you think about it, the replicants really are toys. So there's a toy maker making lots of kinds of toys. And it's, it's a great, it's a Christmas movie for sure. Yeah. First Harrison one Ford. Jesus Christ superstar. Because I love musical theater and overwrought Jewish people screaming at each other with palm trees in the background says Christmas to me. Okay. That's good. I like these answers. Um, an original answer. Okay. Next question. Do you like this game or is this annoying? Yeah. Okay. So if all the shit goes down, if the shit goes down and the Nazis take over, where do we go? Where do we flee to? Who's we, white man? I'm pretty sure I'm going to a concentration camp. Um, <laughs> I'm not staying here. I'm out. No, I just meant if Nazis take over. I think you and I are going different places, probably. Well. Um, and I know I've sounded paranoid for four or five years about this, but. No, you. Know, you let, let's. Diamonds. <laughs> you said it very early on. You were afraid of, of the Nazis and the anti-Semitism and, and all this stuff. I remember you saying it. Years yeah. ago, and you you know, you were you prescient with your uh, prediction about how things well, have gone. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, some of it's that I'm a genius. <laughs> no, um, I'm Jewish, and I and I'm obviously Jewish when you look at me. And I live in Beverly Hills, and I work in the diamond industry, so I'm, I'm a pretty big Jew bag. And you know that old expression: uh, "We see fire before you smell smoke." That's all that was about. I was I was very aware that was happening five years ago. And now everybody's like, oh, my God, fire. And it's like, no kidding. My house already burned down. But beyond that, you know, I'm a historian. And you and I have talked before about the fact that these sudden, sudden cloudbursts of anti-Semitism yeah. don't come out of nowhere. And people make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's people looking for someone to blame because the economy's bad or there's a plague or it's not. It's the other way around. It's not 
things went bad and then they pointed at us, although they do do that. It's, it's a bellwether for fascism. <laughs> when the yeah. world's about to go fascist, they start by going anti-Semite first because they need someone they can all get together behind getting against. And I think there are a lot of complicated and uncomfortable reasons for why that is. Um, yeah, and I think anti-Semitism is weird and complicated and, again, uncomfortable to talk about. Not because yeah. I'm uncomfortable, but because my opinions, I think, would probably make a lot of people uncomfortable. But honestly, those are the best kind of discussions. So what's your yeah. next question? Okay. Here we go. Uh, okay. You wrote a book, and your book is called The Truth About the Lies. So I feel like there's a lot of lies going around right now with mm -hmm. regards J6. Uh, there was a poll that was in, I forget who, I think Washington posted the poll that something like, you know, 40% of Americans believe that the FBI started J6 and was in on it. Uh, so like, why do so many people believe stuff that's just fucking bullshit? And what can we do to combat that? Maybe I literally wrote a whole book about why people believe bullshit. I know it took hundreds of pages to explain, um, but you I have, will. You have, you have two I'll minutes. Sum it up. Okay, so January sixth is a good example because the first chapter of my book, which came out before January sixth, was titled "The Big Lie," and yep. the book is about different kinds of lies and why people believe them. And in the case of the big lie, you're not actually being tricked in the same way you are with a normal lie, which is, is what makes it so powerful, is that it works on, and I know we don't like to think this about our adversaries, but it works on totally normal, stable, relatively well-adjusted, relatively normal, average, bright people. Those are the people a big lie works on. Because most lies work by subverting your sense of reality or tricking you into believing facts that aren't real. A big lie relies on your sense of reality, at your sense of objective reality, and your theory of mind to work. So if you have a normal theory of mind, and, and theory of mind's a complicated neuropsych theory that it basically sum it up is, I know you're thinking, and you know I'm thinking, and we both know each other are thinking basically the same way, right? That sounds obvious, but it's not true of everyone. Well, not everyone, everything, although I'm not sure Trump has a theory of mind. But basically, a big lie relies on your theory of mind. Essentially, nobody would lie about something that crazy because we all know lies exist and we're all suspicious of them. So if somebody says something like, I'm selling timeshares on the moon and they don't seem crazy, you're more likely to believe them than if they tell you they're selling timeshares in Florida yeah. because nobody lies that big. Like they must have proof, even if they haven't shown it to you. There are a lot of reasons people believe lies, but what it really boils down to, and we're back to Asia's answers that make people uncomfortable is uh, you're supposed to, it's a sign that your mind is working perfectly normally. Um, lying and being lied to is an integral part of human communication and not just human, um, and definitely human civilization. So if you didn't believe lies, you wouldn't be able to function normally, and it would mean there was something wrong with your mind. Interesting. Yeah, it's always very interesting. I, and I not, think a, not every lie works on everyone, which is why it isn't 100% of people. But 
Yeah. There there is a lie for everybody that they'll believe. I think it has to do, there's some corollary there or something analogous where the reason Trump, I think, gets away with so much shit is because there is so much shit that he has to get away with that it's, you know, whereas, um, you know, some dude, some other politician makes one mistake and does one thing wrong. And that's all anybody focuses on because there's only one thing. And Trump oh, the has fire hose, going the fire hose effect. Yeah. Well, yeah, you flood, that, you flood the, uh, you you flood, flood the, the with, with disinformation yes. until mm-hmm. people. Are, yeah, I wrote about that in a chapter about propaganda. The point is not to make you question a particular truth; it's to make you question truth in general. Yeah. Until you're just too cognitively exhausted to bother fact-checking things people say, and you're just like, well, nothing's very true. I don't know. Nothing is real, and nothing to get hung about. Strawberry fields forever. Um, okay, this is this is a fun. I'm actually I'm very curious what you what you have to say about this. Um, you went to a good college. You know about you know about higher education. Several. Uh, what's the deal with uh, with this Claudine Gay Harvard thing? Like I, I I you know I haven't really been following it carefully. My sense is that it's just people trying to undermine the entire education system, and by people I mean the the MAGA bad guys. Uh, but is it more than that? It, why Harvard? Like, what's going on here? What do you think? I think there's an enormous amount of money. That's always about money with you people. I think there's an enormous amount of money going from Qatar to Harvard. I think okay. that's part of it. I think there really are some bad ideas circulating and some bad behavior in the upper levels of that college and many others. Um, I mean, are you asking why do I think Claudine Gay got nailed? Yeah, I guess. And also, I mean, that's the unspoken question. Was it racism? Yeah, well, we can go there. I don't I don't necessarily think that it was. I think maybe that played a part in it. But what do you think? I think it's interesting that uh, everybody has focused on it was racism when what's her name? Same thing. Resigned a week before that white lady at. Pen, yeah. At Penn. <laughs> I think uh I think when it was Claudine Gay's turn, she said, No, racism. And so the other side came back with actually plagiarism. And people get so angry about that. I've argued with so many people who have said, you know, they went digging and it was racism to go digging. And it was like, well, sure. But that's like the police framing a guilty man. You know, like she did it. She did it. She did it a lot. And and it really doesn't matter what the motive was to look for it. It wouldn't matter what the motive was for the police to come looking in my closet. If they found a dead body, they found a dead body. You know, um, I do think. If we're talking about Ackman and how he now says for his. One true love, he will bring down the entire higher education system because they accused her of plagiarism too. Yeah. Uh, I've been a big fan of Mary Oxman's work my entire adult life. And I think when someone's an artist and a scientist, the proof is in the pudding, not in the write-up. Nevertheless, it would seem she was sloppy and entitled in the way she wrote up those papers. Well, what are you going to do? Fire her? She doesn't work for MIT anymore. She quit like half a decade ago to start her own company. Um, the most paranoid part of me wonders if that's not a put up job, not against her, but 
Ackman's clearly crazy and clearly has an agenda, right? What good do you do Claudine Gay by outing his wife? You don't. All you do is inspire him to, you know, run algorithms, checking everyone's dissertation for the last 50 years. And anyone who's not a complete moron, and you cannot underestimate how dumb the people in Ivy League schools are, especially in the administration. And I say this as somebody who went to several. Um, Yeah, they might be that dumb. Or this might be one of those things where it looks like a fight, but it's actually coordinated. And in fact, the point is to wreck liberal higher education. Yeah. Although I question how liberal it is because somebody threw a can of soda at my nephew. At Harvard? He's at Harvard. Yeah. Those protesters um, are not protesting. They're, I mean, they're not rioting, but they're certainly behaving in a way that I recall would get you thrown out of school. Um, that's not good. Yeah. Harvard is it's a strange place, I think. I think it's a strange place. There's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. It was really sad. When he got home for Christmas break, he asked my sister if she'd make him latkes. And she was like, I was like, because I don't really love fried food. I was like, we just had that. Why? And eventually, after we poked him enough, he admitted he didn't actually have any. He lied to her and said he went on Hanukkah for services and to dinner. But he was too scared to go because the protesters were all around the building. Yeah, that's not good. That's sad. A 16-year-old child too scared to go to dinner. That's not protesting anything. No, it's not. It's anti-Semitism is what it is. Yes, and also scaring children. Yes. Until they stay in their room and don't get dinner or to celebrate a holiday. It's messed up. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, (laughs) Okay, moving on to the next question. Um, Trump has been compared to Hitler a lot lately, and including by Trump himself. He's, you know, as Jen Murchia said, he's cultivating this uh, Hitler comp. As Hitler one had a better body. <laughs> Certainly ate better food. Um, <laughs> if he's president again, are we going to get a dictatorship or is this just. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I can't overstate. That's game over. America's over if he's president again. He's said it'll be a dictatorship. He said the three words that encapsulate his run for his next term are revenge, dictatorship, and, I don't know, human sacrifice. I forget what the third one was. But it was just like, this is crazy shit. And it's not just him. Everybody acts like if it's just it's just him and, and we just have to put him in jail. It's not just him. He's the figurehead of a covert World War Three that I think we're in. Yeah, that's a good, I like that. I'm going to write that down as a possible title also. Covert World War Three. Well, we've been, at, we've been at war with the bad guys now, certainly in the information space for at least seven, eight years, certainly mm-hmm. since 2015, 2016, when Trump came in. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't seem to be doing a terribly good job fighting back or even acknowledging that we are at war. Um, the fact that the guy that is principally responsible for the other side is now at war with Ukraine and we can easily finish him off just by giving Ukrainians some weapons and we're too stupid to fucking do that is is concerning. Um, I don't yeah. think we're too stupid. I think we're too fractured. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think if you ask people in the street, they don't know. And um, this is an obvious – I mean, the benefits of doing that are so obvious that they're I'm, – I'm the wrong person to ask because truthfully – I'm kind of a war hawk. 
I always have been, really went over poorly in college when everybody was like trying to vote for you know, third party candidates and shit. And I was like, actually, maybe we should carpet bomb the Middle East. And they were like, no. And I was like, okay, no, that's, an, that's I'm just being dramatic. But um, yeah, I think all of this fear of escalation, because that's what it comes down to. They'll go, no, he'll escalate. He'll escalate. All he does is escalate. Maybe we should escalate. There you go. And escalate what? His entire fucking military is bogged down in Ukraine. If well, he goes into mean, Poland, they mean drop a tactical nuke on Kiev. Uh, you, you know, if he goes into Poland, he's they—they they have no more soldiers to defend Russia. Like well, he, but here, here's the thing: Kiev knows that's a possibility. They know if they start flying fighter jets over Moscow and bring the war to them, there is a possibility of a tactical nuke in Kiev. I think we shouldn't be so paternalistic. And if they want to take that risk as opposed to being slaughtered one by one for years, that's up to them. From what I understand about nukes, which, again, this is way afield of my areas of expertise, so I want to be very clear about that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I talked to a couple of people who know about this stuff. The more precise and tactical uh, mm-hmm. the nuke, the more complicated it is, the more hard it is to maintain I don't think, and, I don't think yes. Russia's shit doesn't work and at all. And yes, now we've we can't got even flush the a real reason toilet. I'm talking such shit, because I don't believe they have any. They don't have shit. They can't even, they literally. They sold the plutonium back in the 90s. I don't believe they have nuclear weapons. They might they have do, a few junky work. ones that'll blow up in their own parking lot like a Hamas rocket. But like, I don't think, I don't think they really are a nuclear power anymore. Which yeah. is why I'm talking such shit, being like, well, yeah, let them try it. I don't care. Because <laughs> I don't think they have them. No, I don't either. Or if they do, they're not going to work anymore. They're just... Exactly. You know, they don't technology have Technology from the 1940s that has not been updated in 80 years. I think we're It's okay. expensive yeah. to maintain. We all know they sold a lot of the, the fissionable material back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, you also need the people to maintain it. And those people left the minute they were allowed to. Right, right. And, you know, how sober are the people that are there working now? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Just like saying. I said, it will blow up in their own parking lot. I think it, I think it will, too. Uh, okay, that one we already covered as a, as a tangent. Uh, okay, you called Elon Musk a wallet, a human wallet. Um, I, I just, every, I knew what was going to happen when it happened. I wrote a thing on Substack the day he I remember over. it was very good. Thank you. And everything that I said he would do, he has done. Like literally every single thing to destroy it. So, duh. Um, but yet, even so, I feel like he's he finds new levels of low and pettiness and things that are a little bit surprising just by their awfulness and just whatever. Um, what do you think about him like going forward this year? Like what's what do you think might happen? What do I think will happen to him, or what do I think? What's a Twitter or X or whatever or space? Like everything that he buys, his, his products think, blow up. I so think bad. Twitter is worth seven billion dollars now instead of thirty-three. Mm-hmm. These are hard numbers. It's going to get worse eventually. I mean, eventually, in a normal company, the shareholders would demand he be removed. Unfortunately, yeah. the shareholders are like Mohammed bin Bonesaw. 
and some Chinese oligarchs and some Russian oligarchs. And they don't care. I think they like what he's doing or they, they're fine with it. Um, so I don't know how you wrest control of it from him unless it's either, you know, what we'd all like to see, which is he goes to jail for something and there's plenty he could go to jail for legitimately, not even exciting things, just shenanigans with money and taxes and covering up like injuries and deaths and his factories. Like there's plenty yeah. if you wanted to. Um, or my fit, my wet dream for the next four years is brutal iron fisted regulation of tech industries. Yeah. And corporations yeah. in general. I want to see a return to like real Roosevelt antitrust monopoly yeah. breaking. Like I think I think that's the only thing that's gonna save us is you know the the wealth tax on billionaires enforcing monopoly laws, trust breaking, and maybe bring back some of those rules about muckraking and yellow journalism and stuff. Like, just make it simple. Like, you cannot lie. You cannot make things up and then print them in the Washington Post. Yeah, that would be, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think if, if regulation happens, he will lose control of Twitter and everybody's like, well, it's ruined. It's a wasteland. How fast would you go back to Twitter if someone else owned it and they put normal rules back in place? Yeah. Well, I'm still there, you know, <laughs> so I really, I don't, you, I don't use it like I used to use it, but I'm not off it. You know, well, it's okay. too valuable. I have to know stuff what's happening and it's yeah. You know, Blue sky I'm is like pretty it. good about news, but you know, it's shitty for sports. So if I want to know what Blue happens. Sky? Oh yeah. I Blue sky is good. Is it? Because yeah. I have an account I've never used. I like Blue Sky. Again, what about Threads? Well, I don't. Je ne Zuckerberg pas. You know, I don't. Yeah. Know. But people have said that it, I should go on there. and uh, I, I Well, they, they did the one thing. They did the one thing they could do to make it sexier than the options. They can't scrape your Twitter followers. But mm-hmm. scrape all your Instagram and Facebook followers and ask them if they want to follow you on threads or automatically follow you if they follow you on Instagram. Right. But I have like so many more followers on Twitter. I so follow you on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That doesn't help me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe it so should. Blue, it you like blue sky, huh? Yeah. I, and I know Jack Dorsey's involved with it, but I think he's not. Oh, they're, not, they're all disgusting. They're all disgusting. Yeah. There, There is I, no good option except Mastodon, which is unusable. No, Mastodon is, that's, I can't, That that's like a, um, an old computer, like the first computer I had. Um, you're if I wanted to play Oregon Trail, I'd fucking play Oregon Trail. You know, put the floppy disk in, run the thing, and then you have to have a different floppy disk to get to the word processing program which didn't never quite worked right. And uh, I feel like that's Mastodon. And then you, you try to set the printer Mastodon up. Mastodon was, I think, good faith, but it, it sucks. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of them are equally scummy, I think. Spoutable, I'm is, Spoutable is good. I just don't, I, I prefer the interface of Blue Sky. And I prefer well, I haven't used Spoutable. That, um, I don't know. He, he's fine. But, I, I don't have a problem with it. But you know, I, I like just, him as, you know, figure, I just haven't tried spoutable. I just think, you know, they accomplished what they meant to accomplish as you so, so eloquently and, and presciently explained in that article. 
they just made everybody scatter. And and the power in Twitter was the critical mass. Yes. Everybody talking to everybody, and now everybody's somewhere else. Right. But and the second he loses control of Twitter, and I think, honestly, it'll just bounce right back. I think everybody still has their account, and they'll just go right back to it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and I honestly wonder if the timing of this doesn't have to do with the election. The timing of what? Of the Just destroying it to its absolute base value. Yeah. Going into an I, election year. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. I think it's, you know, it's designed for that purpose. Um, and that's only assuming it's uniquely there to fuck up the United States. Because I think it's, it's fucking not. Up it's other countries. fucking up other people too. Yeah. You know, anytime people are trying to gather dissidents, say, um, it, it's true with that. It's it's crazy to me that a guy who was a beneficiary of the apartheid system would be so awful. Oh, my God. You, you wouldn't think the son of a famous anti-Semite, beneficiary of semi-illegal mining, yeah. like, do you know the gold mining industry invented apartheid? I did not, but I am not surprised. The gold mining industry in South Africa invented apartheid because they had to pay skilled laborers more than unskilled laborers. And they were two different classes of laborers. And they also built these towns for them to live in because the gold mines were so far outside towns. And they built these lovely Potemkin towns for the skilled workers, the white workers. And then they put the black workers who they made unskilled workers, not because they couldn't learn how to sort this rock from that rock or push the button on the machine, but because they were not offered those jobs. They put all of the black unskilled workers downwind of the mine where toxic dust blew on them all day long and nothing would grow. So they didn't have parks and trees and, and they called the system apartheid. And then they invented, or then they invited some um, government officials to come see what they were doing. Cause they had to get checked out. The government officials are like, this is interesting. They were like, Oh yeah, it's so good. And it, it saves us like 70% of what we'd have to pay workers. Otherwise we call it apartheid. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe it. Um, horrible, just horrible. And yeah, the beneficiary from this is, I, I don't know. It's just, sometimes it makes my head explode. It reminds me of other, of other periods of time. And there's two more questions I have for you. Okay. Um, I mean, two more planned questions. I might have more questions, but okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I picked this out and it just says the interwar period because you and I were talking about, I, I went down this World War I mm. uh, rabbit hole where I was reading a lot about it and looking, studying it more. And I bought a map that I hang, have hanging in my office Good because man. I really feel like so much of the world as we know it now, the map of the modern world derives from what happened in the First World War. You know, mm -hmm. the, certainly like the Middle East stuff is oh, yeah. not incidental. You know, Sykes-Pico and, and uh, um, lots of things, Africa and all of it. Israel existing? Uh, yes. Uh, so you have all of this stuff uh, coming out of that. But there's also, you know, before the First World War, people were like, hey, this is great. Europe is at peace. We're all trading together. War will never happen again. And then like two days later, they were at war. Like it was, it's stunning how fast it went and scary actually how fast it went to everything is great now. Why would we ever have a war? And then there's a war. Um, and then 
World War One happens, followed immediately after by the, the pandemic of the Spanish flu, mm -hmm. um, called Spanish flu because the only cases reported were in neutral Spain because mm -hmm. the uh, the other cases were censored by the news where it also was. Also um, mistaken for other things early on. Yep. Um, so you have all this horrible death and destruction and just awful stuff. But, you know, 20 years later, let's do it again. So what happened? You said you were looking into the interwar period and thinking about that. So what were you looking at? What were you thinking about? No, I was just thinking about it because um, yeah. you learn mistakenly in like high school that World War One was about France and Germany and how they can't keep their grubby hands off each other. And that's it. It's that's partly what true. It's partly true. It's 100% true. I tried to explain to my niece recently that the whole point of the EU is to bind these people together financially, all of Western Europe, so they are financially dependent on each other, and also NATO, so they're required for mutual defense because they have this fratricidal tendency toward constant... I was like, baby, you know they had a war called the Hundred Years' War? Because it went on for a hundred years. Like, what's it even about at that point? And my niece, who was a child but a genius, said, well, I don't know. It's been 75 years in Israel. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. You're right. I guess wars can go on for a hundred years. But, yeah. yeah, so you learn that it's, it's, it's Germany and France won't stop slapping each other like two kids in the backseat of a road trip. But that's not really what World War I was about. It was about modernization. I actually wrote a chapter, one of my favorite chapters in Stoned. Each chapter is about a piece of jewelry or something like that that, that changed the course of history. And the piece in that chapter is the first wristwatch, the invention of the wristwatch, which, much like engagement rings, is much more recent than people think it is. They were invented just before World War I. And who had wristwatches and who didn't largely determined who won the war. Because it was the first technological war, really. It, well, you can't drop a bomb from a plane on the right spot if you're not able, if you have to like take out a pocket watch and open it and try to look at it while you fly the plane and drop the bomb. That doesn't work. <laughs> you can't do a creeping barrage if you can't all synchronize. The English and the French had wristwatches, and the Germans did not. And it was, it was a major factor in who won. And... Um, World War I wasn't just determined by technology. It was about technology. It was not the first war after the Industrial Revolution, but it was, it was the big one. And it happened because that kind of industrialization creates globalization. And that globalization creates greed for other people's resources in a more accessible way than it exists when you have to like get in a wooden ship and hope it doesn't sink. And like everybody was fighting over a world empire, really. And they were fighting with newer, bigger, worse weapons. So they just decimated each other, just destroyed each other and whole countries. And also a big part of World War I was all those bizarre Byzantine interlocking treaties everybody had with their new trade partners. Like why the fuck was Japan in World War One, Japan, because they had trade partners and they had signed just, you know, it's like not reading the fine print. And also if I go to war with like another country next door to me, you'll, you'll have my back, right? Yeah. 
And that's how the entire world got in within a few days, weeks, sucked into a world war. So everybody got wrecked. And then there was a pandemic, really bad pandemic and probably worse than ours because nobody had Zoom or Netflix or Amazon delivery. Um, Like you think we went crazy during our pandemic and we did. I think everybody's mentally ill at this point. Or any hope of medicine that will help. They didn't have that either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh God, that's a separate issue. Um, <laughs> like how many people do you think thought uh, putting little kerchiefs over their face was a conspiracy and <laughs> they shouldn't do it? Um, so everybody's wrecked. Everybody's dead. Everybody's sick. And yet in the back of their mind, there's still this drive for a new world order because they have not quite worked that out yet. All they did was accidentally drag Americans into it who didn't get as fucked up. And then the Great Depression hits. And now Americans are hungry too. And that's that's the 500-pound gorilla. And it was inevitable that another world war was going to start because nobody wants to hear this, but um, wars generate money. When countries have nothing left, they go to war. It creates industry, it creates commerce, and if nothing else, it kills off surplus population. And when it's over, your economy is sort of working again. And I think the only thing that has staved off more kinetic war in the last couple years has been the miraculous rebound of the economy, even if we're not exactly feeling it. I feel like eggs cost $8 and that's annoying me, but, but I don't feel like we should, you know, go to war with Russia because I'm not that desperate yet. And nobody else is either. That's a big part of what makes people go to war. So world war one was about the industrial revolution and world war two was about world war one. Well, and world war one was about the Franco-Prussian war in some, in some respects, because that's something I, I learned recently to your point about money. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that after in 1870 or 71, after the Franco-Prussian War, France had to pay Germany an absolute fucking yes. money, just a crippling amount of money. And they took Alsace and Lorraine uh, mm-hmm. away, uh, which is also why at the end of World War One, France was like, now you're going to pay us money, motherfuckers. And then they did that. And that mm-hmm. was how Hitler came into power. Also, and also the whole world was leaning fascist. Yes. Like I said, there was anti-Semitism everywhere because it's a bellwether of people are scared and about to go fascist. Right. And they yeah. were about to go fascist because they were sick and they were hungry and they were traumatized. And we're all pretty much walking a fine line here on how bad we feel on any given day. And that's really the deciding factor on whether or not a bunch of countries go to war with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I hope that uh, we learn something from these things, but I'm not. I, no. I, I feel like that's that's too much. That's too much to ask. No. Um, all right. So the last thing I want to ask about, uh, and you've already mentioned him a couple times, and that's Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and I mention this only because as we're recording this, it is the 9th of January, which I think is a Tuesday. Um, I want to say I can't really say for sure, but pretty. I'm sure nodding knowingly, but I don't know what day it is. Yeah. And uh, what's happened now is that there's all these documents that are maybe going to be released and there's unredacted parts of the lawsuits and this and that. And I don't know what to think about the whole thing. I feel like it's such a 
it's such a vast topic. There, it touches so many different things. The last season. Um, hmm? I said, so last season. <laughs> These bad people just keep doing terrible things. It's hard to remember what they all are and maintain the appropriate level of moral outrage and anticipation of their punishment. But it has to do also, when you were talking about the lies and the big lie in your book, uh, which is called The Truth About the Lies, um, again, to plug, uh, you know, people tend to believe things that are these big things. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about at a certain point, if you didn't know who that who Epstein was, you know, you're somebody in New York City and you get invited to this guy's house. OK, I'm going to do a little recon and figure out who he is. Who does he know? Oh, Bill Clinton. Oh, Prince Andrew. Oh, the president of Harvard. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Hawking. Well, that's probably okay then, because you assume that since those guys have vetted him, he must be okay. And I feel like that's also part of the thing where it just pushes down the line where he needs just a foot in one little door to get everybody else. It's like a daisy chain or something. I don't know. Um, I don't even know what my question is, really. I just want your thoughts on this, because I don't think anything – I don't know. I think we're going to learn much. Uh, that's my sense. I may be totally wrong. But I, I think people are expecting some huge, you know, oh, my God, thing to happen. And I don't anticipate that happening. What do you think? No. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. Um, I agree with you about the vetting. Uh, I was actually talking to my sister about that the other day. She was like, what the hell would Stephen Hawking do at an orgy? No disrespect to Dr. Hawking. And I said, Mara, he wasn't there for the orgy. Most of those people weren't invited for illicit sex, or they wouldn't have gone. They were invited because, don't you want to have dinner with Bill Clinton, Stephen? Bill, don't you want to have dinner with Stephen Hawking? Like, that's how he got... a, A lot of those people were just there as bait for other people, and then once they're all there, and some of them go to another room and do something horrible, you not only have compromise on all of those people that did something horrible... You can say to the people who were in the other room smoking cigars, you wouldn't want anyone to know you were ever at Epstein Island, would you? Yeah. It's sort of two-tiered blackmail. And I feel like somebody as intuitive as Epstein was would be able to suss out who would be interested in what he was doing in the back rooms and who would not. I feel like, you know, after a while, you'd get to know. I don't think you even need to be that intuitive, but. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like the Epstein thing is so, um, it's so vast and unknowable. And yet if we ever really understood exactly. There's also the question, do we want to know? And I know this was entirely, you know what this episode was about? This episode was about me saying, or almost saying things (laughs) you should maybe edit out. Um, (laughs) do we really want to know if, (laughs) If various intelligence agencies, and by all accounts, Epstein was up to his eyeballs in the Mm -hmm. intelligence community, are engaging in or winking at or whatever grotesque criminal behavior and sacrificing pawns in the service of a larger chess game, how much do you want to know about it? How comfortable are you with that moral gray area that as an American, the CIA works in the service of national security and sometimes national security requires a human sacrifice or 12 
or 50? And that's yeah. an open-ended question. I don't have an answer to it. I don't know. I don't know well, if I want to know. It's a good question. And it's something else that, that LB has talked about before where, you know, people who work at intelligence for us um, doing national security stuff, they don't have to spy on uh, or get information or infiltrate like, I don't know, um, you know, the, the people that work at the McDonald's down the street here or or the, the, the moms who run the book club. It's it is. I don't know. PTA by, moms are scary. Yeah. <laughs> by definition, it's horrible people that they're trying mm -hmm. to find information on and they're trying to infiltrate because that's who's the danger. So, of course, they're going to have to have, you know, rub elbows with the worst of the worst. There's no you can't do the job otherwise. So just because uh, somebody, you know, person A has connections to person B doesn't mean anything in the larger sense because they might be there just trying to infiltrate or they might not or they might also be awful. We don't know. And uh, and yeah, and but, there's some things. But my point do. is, if they do something awful, the people who ostensibly work for us, mm -hmm. they do something truly awful. In the service of. Like I said, a larger chess game. I'm not even going to call yeah. it the greater good. Do you want to know? Do you, Greg, want the details on that? Do you want to know what's been done on your behalf? It's like going to an industrial farm to see how the pigs are treated. Yeah. It, it, it you is. want bacon. Do you want to see how that happened? Um, yeah, it's complicated. It reminds me, there was the... Oh God, it's called the, there's a podcast called the winds of change mm -hmm. um, about he's trying to determine whether or not the scorpion song winds of change was written by the CIA. That's the whole premise of the thing. And it's, it's much more interesting than that. And he goes into these, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's, he's wonderful. He's a journalist, you know, he writes for the New Yorker. It's, it's a legit thing, even though I'm not describing it well. No, you're describing it so well. I'm curious about it. Now. Okay. It's, There's a whole podcast cool. about this song from the 80s. Yes, which is fantastic. And he gets to a point where he, he's t trying to talk to somebody that he's found out information about, that he's, he's foia'd people and this and that. And the guy writes him a letter. And he the guy says in the letter, he, he doesn't want to get involved. And he says, there's the parable or something about, um, you know, people who know the elephant and only... You know, if you're blind and you touch the elephant's trunk, yeah, 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 the wall, the rope, it, yeah, and if you're, you know, or the elephant's flank, you think it looks a certain way, and um, but you don't really know what an elephant is because you've never seen it. And then he just says, "I've seen the elephant, I'm done." So that's to your point. Uh, you know, you've seen the elephant. I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to see the elephant. I don't think I meant to see the elephant. I'm supposed to pretend I've seen the elephant and write a novel about it. That's my, that's my, that's my job. Yeah. Do you, um, what was your favorite, uh, thing that you saw on TV or streamed the, in the last year? Mm. Cause I'll tell you mine, mine was the second season of white Lotus. I mean, there's no question. That was the best, the single best thing. I liked the first season better. No, no, no. I, it was more of a surprise. Because so you knew somebody was going to die and you really thought it was the wife. Yep. Yeah. It was really good. It was very um, good. Let me think. God, a year is so long. I'm trying to remember I what know. I've watched. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, I'm just, I realize right now I'm obviously consuming TV mindlessly because I don't right. remember. What, you know what I liked? Oh my God. It was a show 
about pioneers heading west. It was like 18 something. Oh, that thing. Yeah, the, the, the Yellowstone prequel or whatever. Yeah. Well, it didn't yeah. really seem to have anything to do with that show, Yellowstone. It was just about people on the Oregon Trail. And truthfully, truthfully, the Oregon Trail, for some reason, is my Roman Empire. I think about it all the time, and I have for years. So I thought that show was great. Oh, wow. Okay. See, I did not know that about you. I don't Oregon know Trail. why. It's just like twice a day I start thinking about the Oregon Trail. I don't How often I do you it. think about the Roman Empire? Well, I work at a company that, you know, with Roman coins. So often. Uh, oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the reason. It's, uh, yeah, well, you know, Rome is the shit, man. That's so much stuff. Western society comes out of Rome. Sorry. We apologize. Uh, that's just how it is. You know, it's the backbone of Western you culture. Hitler and said, Hitler actually said, and it was written down, so it's in print, that he was freeing the world so it could reach its potential. He was freeing the world from, I don't remember the exact wording. Basically, he said, uh, Jews invented conscience with their dirty Ten Commandments, among other things. And he was freeing the world from that so we could all reach our ultimate Aryan potential of greatness and, I guess, nihilism. That doesn't sound fun to me. I don't know. It just it doesn't. Just it doesn't. Idea. I like those rules about how you can't kill people. But um, I thought it was interest. I thought it was an interesting insight into what the hell was wrong with this guy, and what yeah. he thought he was doing. Yeah. Um, Freeing the world. Wow. From the people who invented arbitrary conscience. He, I guess, was bent that. He kept coveting his neighbor's ox and people kept giving him shit, I guess. It's the kind of Maybe he just I don't know. coveted his neighbor's strange. conscience? I don't know. I don't <laughs> it's very it, but it was just such a crazy thing to say, and I read it recently. Yeah, I've never heard I never heard that, but I'm not surprised that he would say that. It was just like, wow, how is that something you hear more often in the discussion of mm-hmm. what happened there? Like I don't know. All I know is that's like full-blown nihilism. Yeah, that is. I mean, Nazis, you know, say what you will about now. Um, say what you will about national socialism. At least it's an ethos. Donnie, at least it's yeah. an ethos. Um, <laughs> the last time we've had this much peace over this much of Europe was in the reign of Antoninus Pius in the second century. So this makes thinking about Rome at least a little bit. See, you're doing it right now. Thinking about Rome. You're thinking about Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you're you're not on Blue Sky, or you are, but you don't don't go. I literally have an account everywhere except, I guess, Spoutable, and I don't know if I still have an account on Mastodon. By the time Spoutable came up, I was just like exhausted with the starting accounts and then not yeah. doing anything with them. So yeah, yeah. I don't know where is everybody. I don't know where are you. Where do you spend your time when you're on social media? What's your social media of choice these days? I like Instagram. Okay. It's not deep or meaningful, and there's no news outside of uh, skincare news and celebrity news. But I like the pictures, and um, <laughs> yep, it's like more old school social media. It's relaxing. No one's trying yeah. to engage me. They're just showing me pictures of like this year's high jewelry collections. Okay, um, and that's great. And gardens, really good gardens, and sometimes babies. I don't okay. know whose babies they are, but cute videos of babies. Uh, otherwise, Twitter still, and I just—I yeah. uh, mean, I'm not going to give up my Twitter account, but like, it's so—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a noxious cesspool. Everyone yeah. has always said that about it, 
And I always thought, yeah, it is. But like, I like it. Like the way some people like New York. Or <laughs> some people like Hollywood. It's a noxious cesspool. But it's right. my kind of noxious cesspool. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. It doesn't work right. People now. just keep threatening to kill me or rape me. And I'm like, I don't know you like that. Come on now. <laughs> only only my friends get to say things like that to me. Oh, my God. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should I should let you get on your way. Um, <laughs> yeah, as always, that's definitely where we want to end it. <laughs> Um, it's great to see you as always. Once again, uh, your books are called Stoned, The Truth About the Lies, and the documentary is called Nothing Lasts Forever. Asia Raiden, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. It's always good to see you. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Serena Zabriskie, Marie Cast, and Martha Acuna provided the introduction in Ukrainian, French, and Spanish, respectively. Voice talent is by Stephanie St. John and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hockey, Kenai Williams, Kimberly Johnson, and everyone else at MSW Media. If you'd like to support this program, get three friends to subscribe. The more downloads I get, the better the show does. You can also subscribe to The 5-8, the live YouTube show I do with my friend Stephanie Koff, a.k.a. LB. Tune in tonight for your Friday night hang. Most importantly, please subscribe to The Prevail Substack with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $6 monthly or $55 yearly subscription funds my work on the column and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Be kind to each other. Try and enjoy yourself. And until next time, we shall prevail. M-S-W-Media.